Well, good morning, Genesis House. Why don't we stand? As our custom, let's read John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. John 21, verse 15. So when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Let's pray. Lord, we are only going to tackle three verses today from your word. But sometimes you say a lot of things in very few words. And I pray, God, that as we uncover the truths from your scripture here that may not have been seen initially when we walked in the door, that we walk out of here with a new appreciation for who you are, how you want us to live, how we're to view your church family, how we're to walk in relationship with you. And I know today will be a, a time of encouragement, a time of learning, maybe a time of conviction. I don't, I'm just not sure where everybody's life at right now with you, but wherever we're at, God, I just pray that your word does its work in our lives. We look forward to our time together for the discussion after, and just uh, may your spirit guide me into truth. In Christ's name, amen. So good morning. I had mentioned uh, that today's sermon would be the last one in the book of John. And so I need to apologize in advance because I inadvertently lied to you last week. Uh, as I began studying, I realized there was too many important lessons in these verses to miss. And if I was to finish the whole passage, I wouldn't be able to bring forth to you today what God was teaching me through the week. So tr true to my form, we're going to continue to walk through the book of John thoroughly and slowly. So I remember from last week that Jesus had just performed an incredible miracle in the presence of the disciples at the Sea of Galilee. Not only he had brought them a large catch of fish, he had also prepared them a supernatural breakfast. Now the reason for the miracle, remember, was to recommission the disciples into ministry service. Now you remember it was three years earlier that Jesus had performed virtually the same miracle at the same sea. And this is when he first called the disciples into ministry. And after the large catch of fish the first time, he said to them, you will be now fishers of men. The problem had been, though, as you remember, that because the disciples um, had been ceased to proclaim any truth of the gospel message and ceased to do any ministry since the crucifixion and resurrection, um, Jesus uh, had to re recommission these guys because they'd stopped in what they'd been called to do. So these men had lost their sense of purpose to the point that these guys had even gone back to their old careers. So the recurrence of the miracle at Galilee then was designed to shake up the disciples and to make it known to them what their purpose was to be. Their purpose had not changed from Jesus' point of view. They were still to be fishers of men. And if any of the disciples needed to hear this, if any of them needed to know that they'd be recommissioned to the ministry service, it would have had to have been Peter. You remember that Peter, only a few weeks earlier, on the night before the crucifixion, had boldly proclaimed in front of all his fellow disciples that he would never deny Jesus. 
And not only that, if the situation required it, he'd even lay down his life and die for him. And he said this in front of all of his peers, as if in a sort of almost arrogant kind of way. But we all know the story. What did Peter do on that night? Well, just as Jesus had predicted he would, he denied him three times. And what's interesting is the New Testament gives us no indication that Peter and Jesus ever resolved the issue between them. Even though Peter had shown great remorse for what he'd done, there's no evidence that he'd ever had a chance to make things right with the Lord. And Jesus had yet not given him the opportunity to be restored for what he'd done either. So if Peter was going to be recommissioned by Jesus into ministry service, proper restoration had to occur. It needed to occur. And so we pick up this restoration in verse 15 through 17. And let's read it again. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to them, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Shepherd my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Tend my sheep. There's a lot of debate over what Jesus meant when he asked Peter if he loved them more than these. What did Jesus mean in verse 15 when he said, Do you love me more than these? Was Jesus asking Peter if he loved him more than he loved his fellow companions, his fellow disciples? Was he asking Peter if he loved him more than him in comparison to the other disciples? So did Peter love Jesus more than the rest of the, rest of the 11, or less of the 10 by this point? Or was it a third option? Was he asking Peter if he loved him more than, and loved his direction for his life more than the previous Christian career he just left behind? I mentioned to you last week, it was my personal thoughts that he was asking him if, he, if it was a comparison between what Jesus' ministry life was for him versus his old fishing career. But it's, it's divided in that opinion, and it's hard to know for sure. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus was not asking Peter if he loved him to find out where his loyalty lay. He wasn't questioning if Peter loved him so much as he was doing something else. See, I think he was asking the question for another reason. You see, I think Jesus knew he loved him. Remember, after he went away, after his denial of Jesus three times, what did he do? He wept bitterly. He felt absolutely remorseful for what he'd done. Furthermore, we saw last week that after he found out it was Jesus on the beach, what did he do? He jumped in the Sea of Galilee with all his clothes on, and he couldn't wait to get to Jesus. And no one, none of the other disciples chose to do those actions. So I think as Jesus is watching Peter weeping after the denials, and seeing him jumping in the water in excitement that he knows it's him shows that he's on the road to repentance. And he's genuinely sorry for what had happened. So I think what Jesus is doing here, he's asking a threefold repetition of his question because G Peter had denied him three times. And because his, uh, his denial of Jesus was publicly done in front of the disciples on three occasions, he's now asking him in front of the disciples once again to reaffirm his love for him. And it's a wonderful thing that Jesus is doing here because it's, it's providing his fellow peers with the opportunity to see that Jesus has fully forgiven this guy. Not only that, he's willing to restore him back into intimate relationship with him once they once shared. Furthermore, 
Jesus is also using a, an opportunity to publicly show the disciples that he has work for him to do. And he's putting them back into ministry service like he had originally was called to before. Look at the, the role he's been given. He's told three times to take care of the flock. In verse 15, he says, tend my sheep. In verse 16, I'm sorry, he says, tend my lambs. In verse 16, he says, tend my sheep. And in verse 17, he once again says, tend my sheep. Now notice the responsibility here and the incredible picture of restoration and trust. Whose sheep is he asking Peter to tend? Not his, but Jesus's. Jesus says, these are my sheep, and I'm giving the responsibility to you, Peter, to take care of these, of my, these believers in Christ, my church. What an incredible picture of restoration and forgiveness. The same man who vehemently declared that he had nothing to do with Jesus three times only weeks before is now being asked by Christ to take care of his prized possessions. Whatever the mistakes of the past were, Jesus was willing to forgive because of Peter's repentant heart. And I think there's an incredible lesson in there for us, church. You know, many of us, including myself, um, as a Christian, have had Peter-like moments. Maybe not specifically denying Christ in front of family or friends uh, on three separate occasions. But we've all been guilty of probably denying him in our own way. And perhaps it has been in front of family and friends the same way as Peter. Who knows? But, so maybe we've sworn privately and even publicly that we're going to follow Christ in a particular area of life from now on. And we find ourselves in complete, utter chaos. But what we do here is, what we see is we get a picture of God, the character of God. He doesn't try to make Peter repay. He doesn't try to make him repay with penance or certain ritual purifications or anything like that. Or he doesn't even say, hey, Peter, you know what you need to do? Why don't you go in a deep state of depression right now and like really like think about what you've done for a month. And, when you, and then uh, once you've beaten yourself up enough and uh, like, destroying your own character, I'll uh, restore you. None of that. He was willing to offer him full restoration because Peter had already demonstrated a repentant heart. And it's true what he said, what the psalmist says in 103 verse 12. He says, as far as the east is from the west, so far God has removed our transgressions from us. And that's exactly what Peter was feeling in those moments. Really important, church, because, I mean, he, here's this guy, who's a denier of Christ, now being not only restored back to the relationship he had before he did deny them, but now he's also commissioned to take care of the church of God. It's an incredible picture. So I would just again suggest, if you're going through anything right now where you can't forgive yourself for whatever you've done in the past, if you have truly shown a repentant heart, I can promise you with the authority of Scripture that Christ offers you the same restoration and forgiveness as Peter was here. And he can restore you back to the original relationship that you had with him before, as you can now. So what did Jesus mean then, that he was to tend to sheep? Because of his restoration, he was to show him love, and this love was to be shown through tending a sheep and being a shepherd of the church. So what did he exactly mean by this? Well, when you think of a role of a shepherd in real life, what do they do? They basically have two jobs, right? They feed the sheep and they protect the sheep from danger. 
That's what a shepherd does. He feeds and protects. So in the spiritual sense then, Jesus is asking Peter to feed and protect his flock. He's to feed and protect the church family. And I would suggest there's four ways in which uh, Peter was to do this. And we'll go through these together right now. The first thing that Peter would be responsible for as a tender of the flock in order to feed and protect them would he have to teach the entire gospel message. He would have to teach the entire gospel message. Now what do I mean by that? Well, it's interesting in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, that Paul reminded the elders in the church in Ephesus that when he was with them, he did not shrink away from declaring the whole purpose of God. The whole purpose of God. So what was Paul saying here? He was preaching not just how you get right with God. He wasn't just preaching salvation through Jesus Christ. He was preaching how to live in relationship with him afterwards. It wasn't just about the initial conversion. It was about life after conversion for Paul. And this is exactly what we see in Peter's own letter to the Gentile churches. See, in chapter 1, he gives them the gospel. In chapter 1, Peter says, here's how you get right with God. And he gives the whole declaration of the cross. And then look what he says right after this in 1 Peter 1.14. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And then he gives actually an extensive list in the remaining chapters of what a life as a Christian looks like post-conversion. And this is extremely important for us, church, when we think about what I do for a living as your shepherd and what our elders who are being trained in this church are, are being trained for as a shepherd. You see, I think in, in the North American church as a whole, we are failing Christ in this area. Not every church, I'm thinking as a whole, we're failing Jesus in this area. Here's why. We focus most of our energy on bringing people to the Lord and not training them how to live in relationship with them afterwards. I'll give you an example. And when I say these things, I'm not, this is not a slant against these people because they've done a tremendous amount for the kingdom. In fact, they've done more than I have. So there you go. Um, but just consider, consider the focus of these ministries. Billy Graham Crusades. What's his whole focus? City to city, town to town, nation to nation, preaching the gospel. Millions come forward and then they're left to, the, the, left to what? There's no follow-up. There's no follow-up. Lots of false starts in Christianity. These people will often live chaotic lives because they don't know what's next after receiving Christ. Not true of everyone, but, but again, the primary focus is in the conversion, but not the post-life conversion. Consider Alpha. I've, I've participated in Alpha. I really enjoyed it. But for those who received Christ, there was no follow-up, at least in my experience, for where they were to go afterwards. So they received Jesus Christ, and then what? But could you imagine this church in the marriage? Okay, so watch this. I, I, uh, someone comes in, they're going to mentor you. You want to get married? And so here's what it looks like. You spend all your time, all your resources, energy, focusing on how to get someone to the platform to say, I do. And then after that, you walk away and say, good luck in your marriage. That ain't going to last one bit. One, within six months, I say, how's it going? Not so good. Why not? I didn't know this was going to happen. This was going to happen. This was going to happen. Well, who's helping you? Nobody. The whole resources were focused on getting us to the platform. Oh, you want some help? I'd love some help. 
Same with a Christian, right? So, you were rescued from your sin, you committed your life to Christ, so how's life going? Not good. I'm struggling here, I'm struggling here. I have this question, that question. Again, the role of a shepherd, the role of Paul, the role of Peter, the role of myself, the role of our elders in this church as we develop them, is to teach the entire gospel message. Life in relationship, how you get right with God and how you live in relationship with God. And you think about this now. I don't know why we miss this a lot, but Matthew 28, Jesus actually highlights this as an aspect. The post-conversion is necessary from Jesus. <clears throat> Look at this in Matthew 28. Go, th go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. We like to focus on going and making disciples and baptizing them. It's all about the, the celebration of, oh, he received Christ, she received Christ. Where's the teaching that all I deserve to command you? That's a lifelong process. John, Jesus himself, or John, I should say, in John 14 says, or no, sorry, let me rephrase this. Jesus himself in John says, if you love me, you'll obey me and keep my commandments. And there's a reason why in the New Testament, Christianity is described as the way. It's described as the way. The way for what? It's a way of life. It's a way of life. So again, it's important to see that as a shepherd, for myself and the, and the people in this church going forward in, in eldership, that we are to teach the entire gospel of God. And that's what Jesus was, was commissioning Peter to do. Secondly, Peter, as well as myself and the elders of this church, are to teach accurately and provide protection from all heresy. We're to teach the word of God in an accurate way and provide protection from all false teaching and heresy. Look at this in first, or Timoth, or Titus 1.9. Titus 1.9. For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Exhort in sound doctrine, so encourage and proclaim sound truth, and also basically argue against those who contradict that truth and defend against the, those who are in opposition to it. Now, why would this be necessary? Well, as I was thinking about this, I went back to the shepherd-sheep illustration in the literal sense. See, sheep, at times, are vulnerable creatures. They easily wander off, and they often find themselves in dangerous situations. And they often can get themselves in positions where they're subject to being devoured by wolves. Well, it's the same true in the spiritual sense. It doesn't take much for us as sheep to wander off into dangerous territory, to get into trouble, put ourselves in vulnerable positions. Now, the role of the shepherd then, for example, like myself, is to teach truth and exhort it as a means of protecting you as the sheep from getting devoured. And it's interesting that Paul actually talks about this and what this would look like in, in Acts 20, verse 28. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased by his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own cells men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. This idea of being drawn away, drawn away, is exactly what Satan wants. 
He wants to destroy the believer's life. He wants to destroy it. And what better way than bringing in false teaching? And he started with that in the garden. <laughs> he brought in false teaching to Eve, and it destroyed her and Adam's relationship and the relationship with God. And he continues to do it to this day. And our job, and my job as your shepherd, is to make sure that Satan doesn't have victory in this church. Is to lead you into truth, to teach the word of God accurately, and to protect you from all heresy. Thirdly, what, is a shepherd, what did it mean for Jesus to ask Peter to tend the sheep? He was to provide encouragement and call out sin in people's lives. He was to provide encouragement and call out people's sin. Look at 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Notice that the word Paul was asking Timothy to preach had two components to it. On one side, there was a positive aspect, and one side a negative aspect. So on one side, he was to exhort and provide instruction, which is to build up the body of Christ in their faith, right? To teach you truth so that your faith gets stronger and you have more resolve to go God's way. But the, the negative side is to reprove and rebuke, which would mean Timothy would have to call out believers in their sin and provide necessary instruction on in how to correct their behavior. That was the role of a shepherd, and that was going to be the role of Peter from Jesus' point of view. Now this calling out sin so that corrections can be made and this building of the, of the body, I think the Bible refers to this as sanctification. It's the maturing process in, in our lives because when we receive Christ, we st even though we're forgiven, we still have the same mind as before we were forgiven. So all the sins, all the patterns in your life that created the sins in, in the first place have not been changed just because you received Christ. You've been forgiven for those things, but your mind's still the same. And in Romans, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the only thing that can do that is the Word of God. So again, as the shepherd's role is to say, hey, this is what you need to do and how to live as a Christian now. And you're going a little bit sideways here, here, and here. And you're thinking in your favor. And here's what God wants you to do. But here's the thing, church. It's not to call people out and make them feel stupid or silly or to, to try to, as a shepherd, make someone feel bad about themselves. It's like a, a parent for their child who loves them. When, you, when they do things that are not uh, the Dexter way or the Dewar way or the Andreessen way, you call them out on their sin for what reason? Because you love them and you know you want them to change and you want their character to be different and you know that they can be better people. So we do it out of love when we provide correction. It's exactly what we're supposed to do as shepherds. And that's why it says with great patience do this. <laughs> great patience. Because again, it'll take patience when dealing with certain issues in people's lives. And when I was in the sheep role more than the shepherd role, trust me, I know how much patience it took to deal with some of the issues I was facing in my own life. So again, my role as a shepherd, Peter's role as a shepherd, the elders in this church, their role as a shepherd, is to do two things. One, the fun part, to encourage, to strengthen your faith, to build you up. And the scary part, to call you out in sin. And that's scary because all of us want to be liked. I want you to like me. I do. And the thing about it is, doing this, there's always a fear that you may not afterwards. But what's interesting is that when Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do this. 
the way I show love for Jesus is by actually doing that. So the way I show love for Christ is actually to not only provide you with encouragement, but to actually call out sin in your lives. So in fact, if I don't do this, it actually makes a statement that I don't love God. I don't love Him. And that's pretty scary for me to think about. But let me just say this to you as your pastor, and I'm sure the elders would agree as they, as they move towards that, as we're training them. You know, Peter's sin was pretty grave. I mean, he denied him three times and protected his own life, and he was restored because of repentance. There's nothing you guys could do in your lives that would ever shock me. And there was nothing you could ever do in our lives that would make me change my relationship with you. If you came to me and said, you won't believe what I did, I'm like, what happened? I was, I was drinking, and I don't ever drink, but I went and got drunk, and I hit a little kid, and I did a hit and run, and I haven't told anybody. And you told me, I wouldn't change my opinion of you. If you said, you know what, I've got myself into some trouble in the area of sexuality, I wouldn't think any less of you. Wouldn't change anything. Because just like God, if you have a genuine repentant heart towards those things, he restores. And that me as your shepherd, it does, there's nothing you can do that would make me change my view of you. And again, I just have to look in the mirror and remember my own past to recognize that that's an actual... Uh, anything you've faced, I've had to face myself. And I just say that to say that you can always talk to me if you need to about anything and it won't change our relationship. Fourth and finally, what, were, what was Jesus asking Peter to do? He was asking him this, to live as an example, to teach and live as an example and model the Christian faith. Look at 1 Peter 5, 1 and 3, and I like these verses because they're Peter's own words. So he obviously understood this night very well, or this morning, sorry, this morning on the beach. He says this, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you're willing. As God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. You see, if you're to be an example to the flock, this has to include more than teaching on a Sunday morning. You can't be an example to a flock just teaching on a Sunday morning. That's not enough time with people to be an example. You have to model it in your life as well. You have to model it. And the only way to model it is you have to be with the people. <laughs> you have to be with the people. You know, I was thinking of the shepherd-sheep analogy again, in a literal sense. Okay, watch this. So you're a shepherd of the flock. How, tell me how the flock's going to fare after a year with two shepherd analogies. One, the shepherd is constantly with the sheep, constantly watching out for them, constantly with them and their families, or sorry, constantly watching them in the, in the pasture and making sure nothing happens. The other shepherd just comes and visits the flock once a week to see how they're doing. Who do you think is going to be survive after a year? Who's going to have the most sheep remaining? You see, again, we, I think the only way for us as shepherds in this church, and, and my role is to, 
is to be uh, invested in your lives in a practical way. It has to include the fact that I, that I am an example of the Christian faith. Which also means that my life's on display. And so are the elders in this church. That means, um, you know, my marriage is on display. The way I raise my children's on display. The way I handle children, or my children's on display. The way I handle money's on display. The way I deal with conflict, anger, forgiveness, it's all on display. And that's why in, in, the, in the categories in um, first, uh, first Timothy and Titus, he gives high qualifications for elders. He says you have to be above reproach. You have to be above reproach. Meaning, if the whole congregation is at a level, say, 7 out of 10, in, like, in sort of character, you have to be at a 9 or a 10. You have to be above reproach. You can't just be the norm. You have to be above it. And these are, in all the categories that is listed in Timothy and Titus, there's over 20 qualifications, 20 areas. Now, that's very interesting because that means... Um, the process of how we get to become an elder in the church should be very clear. So you, you should be, you, you weigh your life against those 20 qualifications, and if you're above reproach in every area, you go forward as an elder. If you don't, you spend time working on those areas until you're ready in character to go forward as an elder. And this is the problem, I think, partly with the way we do uh, church in North America. When you go to seminary and get your degree, you can come out, but you can still have character flaws. So you've got the education, but you don't have the character. And so many pastors get into trouble in churches, and it's, always, it's usually moral failure. It's usually moral failure. And the reason this is because the character was, those things were present in their lives before, but they were never in check. And never forget it, it, was, it wasn't me who said this, it was like a someone that I highly respect in the ministry um, from England, and he says, it's a lot easier to train, train um, people in education than it is to train them in character. Because characters are set from childhood. Education, you can learn on a weekly basis. So the process in our church, if you didn't know it, is that each man must do a self-examination in each category against First Timothy and Titus. And they have to be above reproach, and only then will their name go forward in this church. This is the process I had to go through to be a pastor as well. Now, what's very interesting, this idea of being invested in people's lives and living as an example, as a model, the model of the Christian faith, Jesus and Paul both did this. These are really cool verses. Look at Paul's comments to the Thessalonian church. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but our very own lives. Our lives. Because you were dear to us. It wasn't enough for Paul to give him the gospel truth. He wanted to be part of the Thessalonians' lives on a day-to-day -day basis and care for them. Look at Jesus in Mark 3. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that they would be with him, and then he could send them out to preach. Look at the order, church. Very important you notice the order. He didn't choose them to go preach. He chose them to spend time with him so they could go out and preach. You're not going to be able to preach a good message unless you know what Jesus wants you to say. 
And Jesus had to model for them. He, he led, lived with them. He slept, slept you know, in the same rooms and in the same fields and the same mountainsides and the same gardens. And he ate the same meals. And he was with them all the time. And the, the Gospels only record small parts of it. But he, there was, there'd be just, just literally hundreds of thousands of pages to write with all the times he had with Jesus Christ. Jesus didn't say, I'll meet you at the synagogue once every Saturday. I'll see you there. Have a good week. They would never have been prepared for ministry to lead the church after doing that. He's put three years into them every single day and says, now you're ready to lead my church. So Peter understood to be a shepherd meant to live as an example amongst the flock. Paul understood in the Thessalonian church to live amongst them as a flock. Jesus understood you have to live amongst the people to, to shepherd the people properly. It's a pervasive a pervasive thought throughout the New Testament. So let me finish with this. We can really get an appreciation here for what Jesus is doing with Peter, right? Here he says to them, you know, you publicly denied me three times before these disciples. You even set yourself against them as being even more committed to me than, you, than the rest of them. You blew it, Peter. You blew it. But you know what? You've shown signs of repentance. You've shown it. And I'm going to not only restore you and put you back in a right relationship, I'm going to actually give you back the role that I intended to you before. But you're going to take care of my sheep. They're not yours. They're mine. But I'm giving that responsibility, and I want you to lead them and tend for them and feed and protect them in these ways. It's a beautiful picture, because here's a man again who's vehemently denied Jesus three times, now be giving a fresh start in, re in the responsibility of shepherding the flock of God. And what a great God we serve. So what can we learn? What can we learn? Four lessons I would suggest from today. First one is this. There is no limit to the restoration of Jesus to a person who's fully repentant. There's no limit to the restoration of Jesus to a person who's fully repentant. A lot of times in the Christian life, we have a hard time moving on from the things we've done in the past. We have a hard time. But let me just say, if you've been repentant and you've shown Jesus genuine remorse, it's not you. It's not him, as I say, holding you back as yourself. It's your own false beliefs that you haven't been forgiven and can't be restored. It's not his. And so if you look at Peter and what he did, you have to look at your own life in context and say, well, Peter's forgiven after being repentant. I have to be as well. But again, the key is repentance. <laughs> you can't just feel guilty about it because guilt uh, guilt's a start, but it doesn't get you there. There has to be genuine fruit to show that you've actually turned from that which you're known for. Second lesson, an elder shepherd must be able to accurately teach the word of God and be able to defend against those who oppose and contradict it. An elder shepherd must be able to accurately teach the word of God and defend against those who oppose and contradict it. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. I don't know if I need to explain that anymore. Actually, I will say one thing about that. A lot of times people make decisions about how to, whether they should leave a church, join a church, where they should go, and so on and so forth. Let me just say this. 
if, if you join a church because you think they have a good kids program, or because you like the worship team, or because you enjoy the relationships like when you have snacks together after lunch, that's not a good reason to join a church. Don't join that church. You join a church where the, where the Word of God is being accurately taught, and there's a care to defend any heretical and false teaching set up against it. There's many churches you can walk in today, and you, can, and you don't even need your Bible. You don't need it. No, you'd open it. I would, say, I would highly suggest don't go there. And there are a lot of churches still that do preach the Word of God and do teach it accurately and do fight to protect against false teaching. But all I'm saying is if you ever make a decision to go to a church, make sure this is the first priority by why you go. And not because of the kids, not because your family goes there, not because whatever. Forget, don't forget loyalty to your family. Forget, just remember loyalty to the Lord and what He wants in your life. Because you'll be a shepherd wandering, totally vulnerable, totally exposed, and subject to any, any, any kind of devouring in your life. Third, an elder shepherd must be above reproach. And the word reproach means without accusation. So an elder shepherd must be above reproach as per the character traits given to us in the New Testament. Specifically, 1 Timothy and Titus. Now, you might think, duh, well, of course. That is actually an incredibly important lesson. I'd say again, I think as a general statement, not true of all churches, but general statement, we failed the Lord in this category. We do not pick elders typically based on the character traits laid out in Timothy and Titus. We don't do that. We usually pick them out if a good businessman in the community. Uh, there they'll be in if, we, if they're popular in the church and so on. Listen, what's really cool about this is that this, this is a vivid illustration. I kind of I was getting this in my head, like working through Corinthians at one time. So imagine being a slave, working for a master. No, slavery is not the biblical. It's, it's not the slavery you're thinking of, like the African slavery. Slavery was actually very much a positive thing. It's like an employee-employer kind of relationship. So imagine in the, in the real world, you are a, having a Christian boss and you're a Christian employee. And uh, that Christian boss basically calls the shots and how you, how you like Monday through Friday, about how you're to work. Okay, so very much the authority in your life. And then on a, um, you, um, you go to church, but you as the slave or the employee have all the characteristics to meet eldership qualifications. And your boss doesn't. The role switches. <laughs> Now as the, the employer, you are to be subject to the employee in the church community. See the role reversal, how it goes? And then you go back to work on Monday and the role switches again. And that's why they have to, like the Apostle Paul and Peter, deal with work-slave relationships. Because there is this thought that if you're an employee and you're leading in the church, now you have the right to do whatever you want at work. And he's like, no, 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 God still has an order to how work looks. But here's what's really cool. I bring this up in this third lesson to say this, is that this person who's subject to the boss in the work week might have a character trait to move into eldership in the church, and the person who's the businessman in the community can't be the elder. And again, I, I just cry for our churches and just say, get back to the First Timothy and the Titus requirements, because that is what is needed to lead the church. And now, an interesting fact, in those 20, 20 um, there's about 20 um, characteristics, only one is a spiritual thing. 
It says you have to be able to teach the Word of God. So that's where the seminary training and all the, all the education helps because you do get great opportunities to learn that. So you have to be able to teach the Word of God still. But that's the only real spiritual qualification. I mean, the husband of one wife, that's not a spiritual qualification. Not being drunk and not being addicted to wine, that's not a spiritual qualification. Just teaching is. But, but Paul recognized, I want the outside world to, to look in the church and go, wow, look at the character issues, or the characters of the people in this church who lead this. And the world would go, man, that's a high standard, and we appreciate those things. Finally, fourth lesson. An elder cannot properly shepherd the church of God unless they themselves are living and modeling the Christian faith amongst the flock. An elder cannot properly shepherd the church of God unless they themselves are living and modeling the Christian faith amongst the flock. And uh, I think we made that fairly clear throughout the sermon, I should say.